Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. everybody. Today's show is going to be the conclusion to last week's Hunt for the Skinwalker Part 1. We're going to do Part 2 today. It's fascinating. Today's show will be the second part of the Hunt for the Skinwalker in which the Gormans have now sold the ranch and a team is going to come in run by Robert Bigelow and the National Institute for Discovery Science. And we're going to get into what they have to say about the ranch. Another great show, folks. Sit back, relax, and enjoy it. In the fall of 1996, Robert Bigelow purchases the ranch from the Gorman family. He hears about the ranch in the news media, and he's interested in finding out more about it, and he wants to bring a team in for the first time and have it studied because it's such a weird place with all the events happening there. A team from NIDS comes in. NIDS stands for the National Institute for Discovery Science. It was founded by Robert Bigelow, and NIDS is the Scientific Study of Paranormal Events. 
so the intent was all along to study the unusual, the paranormal. And that imparts why he purchased the ranch in Utah. The Gormans now are free. They're free to move away. They find a smaller ranch 25 miles away. And three of the four members of the Gorman family are just happy to be off that ranch. And they don't care if they ever go back to it again. And that is Ellen and the two kids. Tom wants to know what happened on his ranch. He's kind of curious. More so, he wants to know why he lost so many cattle, his dogs. He wants, he wants to be part of this. He wants to understand it. He's not ready to give up yet. So the NIDS team and Robert Bigelow hire him back on to come on as the ranch manager. As for the scientific process, the NIDS process, when the scientists came on board, it's a validation process, and that's the first step. The science team had to witness the paranormal with their own eyes, so that was the first step. And it wasn't long after the team arrived that they actually witnessed something peculiar. It was a bright white light that hovered for about 10 minutes, and then it disappeared. Now they checked all the information they could for this. It wasn't a planet in the sky. It wasn't swamp gas. There's no swamps in the deserts of Utah. It wasn't an aircraft. It wasn't anything on radar. So they actually witnessed an unidentified orb. So they actually did witness something with their own eyes. And that was the first validation process. And then another part of this was they wanted to do interviews of the locals because they kind of felt that the events happening on the ranch weren't unique to Skinwalker Ranch. There's all kinds of reports of weird stuff happening in that whole valley. And they were intrigued by this and they wanted to find out what the neighbors had experienced. So they went out and that was part of it too is they went out and they interviewed Neighbors who were willing to cooperate and tell their stories. I do want to tell you like who the NIDS team was. The author of this book, one of the authors, is Colm Kelleher, PhD. He was a member of the NIDS team. He wasn't the only Ph.D. to be involved with it, though. Uh, there were doctors. There were physicists. There were other Ph.D.s. And none of their names are used. They're not mentioned other than that they were people held with high respect. And the reason they are left anonymous is because the truth is there's still a stigma working with the paranormal, working something like this. In effect, it would probably affect their ability to perform their jobs. For instance, the veterinarian who was on call and witnessed a lot of these things wouldn't be taken seriously by his fellow veterinarians. He might be shunned. He might not be able to work. So they were part of a team. The team wasn't just Colm Kelleher 
and maybe another person. There were several people. There were also several team members that were brought in with other expertise. So it wasn't just a group of two people running the show here. The NIDS team members were scientific. They were well-educated. They were not necessarily well-known, but well-respected in their fields. And the team came on to try to figure out what's going on to try to understand the paranormal. The NITS team arrived at the ranch in the late fall of 1996. They didn't stay there. They would come in for short visits and Tom Gorman stayed on at the ranch as the ranch manager. Bigelow used animals as what he called biosensors because they seemed to sense what was going to happen before it would happen. It'd give them an indicator that to look and to be aware that something might happen. And that was proved with Tom Gorman when he owned the ranch yet with the cattle, with the horses, and with the dogs. So the NIDS team had cattle. Some of the cattle was purchased by Bob Bigelow. Some of the cattle was Tom Gorman's, who he just brought as biosensors. And then Tom also had horses on the ranch. Because as a ranch manager, if something would happen and he had to go and retrieve cattle out of a certain field, it was a lot of work to drive 25 miles to his new ranch, gather the horses, bring them back, saddle them up, and then go after the cows or the steer or whatever, the, the animals that were wandering away. It was just much easier for Tom to keep two horses on the property so that if something happened, he had the horses right there. The team had only been together for about three months. They had already seen the bright light in the sky, but in January, things turned malevolent. There were three calves that sustained injuries during a very heavy snowstorm. It was a heavy snow, as I just said. The temperatures were 30 below. And even veterinarians have said that probably there would be no chance that predators would be out in this kind of weather. Even, you know, predators would be hunkering down in 30 below with heavy snows. So something attacked these three calves inside a barn. One of them had its ear cut off, and the other one, and the other two, sustained eyelid punctures. They never could explain what happened. The veterinarian managed to get there to come in a day later. Because of the snowstorm, he just wasn't able to get there before that. When he checked out the calves, he said that the ear was cut off, and it was a clean cut. It was like a razor cut or a scalpel or a knife. It was some sharp instrument. It didn't look like predators had done it. And he couldn't explain the eyelid punctures. They didn't seem like teeth marks or anything like that. But the animals were treated and I believe they were okay. That is one of the first things the NIDS team experienced after purchasing the ranch. 
going on to March of 1997, so six months into Bob Bigelow's ownership of the property, there was a cattle mutilation, and this one's horrific. Within five hours of the reported mutilation, the team arrived at the ranch. As they said, they weren't staying there. Tom was the ranch manager. He found the calf that had been mutilated, and he immediately called them in, and within five hours, the team arrived. So what happened with this poor little calf? It was in broad daylight. It was a newborn calf. The mother had just delivered it. It was in broad daylight. It happened within 100 or 150 yards of where Tom and his son were present. The calf was dismembered. Its joints had been ripped apart. A forensic pathologist said that the strength needed to rip apart, even a baby calf like this, to rip it apart like that, the strength would be incredible. For a man or a human to do it, you would need two trucks ripping it apart with heavy chains pulling. And as I said, Tom was within 150 yards in broad daylight when this happened. He saw nothing. There seemed to be no indication whatsoever that anything was happening at all. And he heard nothing. Something so violent, you would have thought, would have been heard. This calf weighed approximately 84 pounds upon birth, and all that was left of it when it was found was about 40 pounds. It was bloodless. Its organs were missing. Its ribs were broken. Interesting enough, when this happened, another of Tom's blue healers took off. And there were no tracks. Six hours into the investigation, when the NIDS team arrived, the blue healer wasn't back yet. And again, the veterinarian was there, and he said that the damages, there was an ear cut off of this little calf as well, and it was cut with a knife or a scalpel. The ear was removed completely to the skull. And this isn't something that predators do. It was clearly a cut and not from a predator. The dog would never be seen again. And then the following night, a large creature was seen 20 feet up into a tree. Tom could see yellow eyes. The team was there when this happened as well, and they also witnessed what happened. Tom shot it. Now, he was a marksman. He didn't miss. Colm Kelleher actually says he was a witness to this, and Tom made his mark when he made the shot. But again, there were no tracks, and there was no blood found. There should have been blood. In 1997, there were five animals that disappeared without a trace. 
And another event that happened, it involved Tom Gorman's bulls. As I had already mentioned, Tom had kept some of his animals on the ranch to be biosensors. And Bigelow had also had some animals brought in for the same reason. But, but these bulls we're going to talk about were Tom's bulls. They were very expensive. Um, they were two different breeds. They were both, both breeds were worth about $2,000 each. So you have about $8,000 worth of cattle and these four bulls. They were left in a pasture on a rare occasion when Ellen actually visited the ranch again. They were, Tom and Ellen were leaving. They were going into town. And when Ellen looked over and saw the bulls, they were magnificent animals and they were very proud of how well these animals were doing and what kind of profit they would be able to make off these bulls. And Ellen makes the remark that if something happened to those bulls, they would lose everything. So they leave the ranch and it's about 45 minutes later when they return. And when they're coming down the lane, the bulls are gone. Now they had nowhere to go. They were right there in that pasture. It's fenced off. The fencing was fine, but the bulls were gone. So Tom and Ellen stop and they begin searching for these bulls. They looked all over. There's no trace of them. There's no footprints. They can't track them. There's a metal trailer outside of the pasture. And out of frustration, Tom hits the side of that trailer. And that's when he notices that the bulls are inside. This is a very old trailer. It had a lock on it. It had inches of dirt, figuratively speaking. It hadn't been used in years. It had a padlock on it that was rusted on the only door. The four bulls were inside the small trailer. They were squished in there like sardines in a can. It would have been impossible to place four bulls in such a small area. And the lock had been unaffected. The lock was still on, it was still rusted, and the dirt hadn't been removed. So how did all four bulls get into this small container, this small trailer? When Tom hit the trailer, it seemed to wake up the bulls. Previously to him hitting it, the bulls seemed to be in a stupor. When the loud noise sort of woke them up, they went crazy inside this container. They literally kicked it apart to get out. All four 2,000-pound bulls kicked it out to get out. And then they did get free, and they ran off. And the rest of the day, Tom spent trying to get the bulls back to where they needed to be because they took off scared to death. And that's the incident that happened with the bulls, and it goes unexplained. There is no explanation how those bulls got in there. Another thing that happened with the scientific team was... The scientific team experienced what they called musky smells that seemed to indicate the presence of the phenomenon. 
the team witnessed unexplained light phenomenon. On one occasion, two team members saw a bright yellow light. One of those two team members was viewing through a third generation night vision goggle set. And the other team member could just visually see what was going on with the light. To the team member with, with only the visual acuity, he could only see what appeared to be a yellow light. But the other team member who was using the night vision goggles, he said that the yellow light morphed into a tunnel and he witnessed a black 400 pound, six foot tall figure crawl out of that tunnel. He was scared. He was very scared. And the light faded away and then silence prevailed. The team witnessed a lot of unexplained light phenomenon, but nothing was repeatable. None of the phenomenon was repeatable. So to try to get the upper hand with this, because the experimentations weren't going so well, they decided to go from reactive to proactive. And one of the things the Bigelow team did was to set up surveillance cameras. They installed six surveillance cameras that had pictures of the ranch from every angle. And some of these surveillance cameras were in the infrared zone. In 1998, Gorman noticed that three of the six cameras had stopped working. So he went up and he checked them out. These cameras had been duct taped first and nailed down. The duct tape had been removed and the wiring had been ripped out of these cameras. Somebody obviously didn't want them working. In July of 1998, Gorman noticed that three of the six cameras had stopped working. All the duct tape that had been around the cameras to secure them had been removed, and somebody had ripped out all the wiring. One camera that was still running actually faced the cameras that had been destroyed. So they pulled the recordings from this camera. They wanted to see who or what did this. They went through it. They had a pretty good idea when the camera stopped working. They believed it was July 20th. So they went back and they reviewed all the footage from this camera that was facing these three damaged cameras. They went through it frame by frame. And although at the timestamp of when they believe that the cameras were destroyed, this camera that recorded showed absolutely nothing. They couldn't see anything happening to explain what happened to these cameras. In April of 1999, by this time, the phenomenon had all but stopped. The ranch had become pretty quiet, and the phenomenon, whatever it was, seemed to retreat. It became fleeting. 
Things still happen on occasion, but not very much. And the NIDS team really got nothing more scientifically that they could use about the phenomenon. Bigelow kept the ranch for 20 years. It was sold in 2016. But for most of that time, from 1999 until he sold it, it was just fleeting things that would happen. Nothing that was predictable, nothing that was repeatable. In effect, it was not usable. It was not scientifically usable. The last portion of this book, it talks a good deal about advanced science, like quantum physics, the multiverse, um, things like that. And to be honest with you, this is above my pay grade. Some of the concepts are just a little bit too much, so I'm not going to get into them here. Somebody who delves into that a little more, maybe if they want to, you know, if they, they want to talk about multiverses and the science of it, the quantum physics, CERN, uh, if you want to do that, that's fine. Go ahead and read the book if you want more of that information. Like I said, it, it's kind of all beyond me. What I did get from the ending of the book is that it does acknowledge that there was some paranormal things happening. They did witness it. The team definitely witnessed it because a question, I guess, has been raised whether or not the Gormans were truthful and the team themselves witnessed things. It just wasn't reproducible. The scientific method just didn't work on the ranch. Somebody that was former intelligence actually stated that maybe they should have approached it more from an, an intelligence point of view where you know, if you get 95% of the information and you have intelligence, that's not enough. You need to get all the information. And perhaps whatever this intelligence on the ranch was or is, maybe it was just playing with them. So the book ends with the knowledge that scientifically they failed. They weren't able to prove or disprove anything on the ranch. And they still can't explain the things that they saw, what they felt, or what they experienced on the ranch. And that's kind of how the story ends with this. In 2016, Bigelow sold the ranch. And an entrepreneur in Utah purchased that ranch. He's in the process of trademarking the name Skinwalker Ranch. And for those of you who may not know, there's another team now investigating the ranch. And they are PhDs. And they bring others in to help conduct testing. There's college students. There are professionals from the community. Rocket scientists. The Lead scientists are both PhDs on this team, and it's on television. You can actually watch the show. Currently, season three is running. It's most outstanding. I recommend it. It's called The Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch. And with that, we're going to end the show today. I think we got a lot of information on what happened at Skinwalker Ranch previous to the show that's happening now kind of gives some explanation of what these things are that happen, like the portals, the orbs, the UFOs, the creatures, 
all kinds of weird things happened. So that's all we have for today's show, guys. And I want to encourage you to come back next week. We may be having another two-parter. This one will be maybe a haunted series. All right, that's all. Thanks for listening. That's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating, and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at Petey at Petrifaction at ProtonMail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and friends be prepared to be petrified.